0: Well, we're into our lesson on Peter, lesson number four. Yeah, I don't title these. I, we kind of make up titles as we go along. I don't pick titles, so it's lesson number four. And last week, we left off at the end of Peter listing all the Christian virtues and qualities that every believer should strive to attain and strive to be better at. And he, lent, he capped it off with this verse in verse 10. He said, so dear brothers and sisters... Work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Doing this, you'll never never stumble or fall away. And we did talk about making sure that we as Christians are growing in our faith. We are maturing in our faith. If we're not growing and maturing, what happens is you have a danger sliding away. If you don't ever use what God's given you, you don't ever acknowledge it, you don't keep growing, you're eventually going to fade away from that. And Paul said, or Peter says, if you continue these virtues, you're not going to do it. And we assume from that that if you don't, you will. But we didn't get into the last part or the second part of that verse in verse 11. It says, when you do all these things, you never fall. And verse 11 says, and you'll receive a rich reward into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When he says the words rich welcome, it literally means when the victors were coming back from the Olympian Games and they were the winners. This is the the, the, the parade and acknowledgement that they would receive. And I, I think about Super Bowl parades or World Series parades where the city just rises up and has this big ticker tape parade. That's the kind of welcome we're going to get if we're faithful to do these things. Now think about we'll use Super Bowl as an example. What happens to the person or the team that does not win the Super Bowl nothing no parade no acknowledgement they basically just go home no fanfare nothing now I know some people have thought this and I have actually thought this at a couple of times I got to check myself if you think no big deal I don't care about the, the fanfare as long as I make it in i'm good i don't care about all that other stuff well two things about that thought the first one is if you remember the previous verse said that if you don't do these things you will probably fade away you will probably leave your walk with god if you're not consistent in reading and praying and trusting god your faith is going to wane your faith is going to dissipate And you'll not have that relationship that you thought you had and the Bible tells us to continue to check ourselves to make sure we're in the faith so if you think you're just gonna skate by and you're just gonna get in it doesn't matter you might want to check where you are with the Lord and the second thing is say you do make it in by the skin of your teeth it's going to be an embarrassing time for you at that moment because there are people that are going to make it by the skin of their teeth. 1 Corinthians 3.13 says, But there is going to come a time of testing at the judgment day to see what kind of work each builder has done. Everyone's work will be put through fire to see whether or not it keeps its value. If the work survives the fire, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder themselves will be saved, but like someone escaping through a wall, Of flames you may not think that that kind of fanfare was going to be important to you but at the time it's going to be I remember when I was I don't know fourth fifth grade something around there not a sports guy you probably realize that by now so I was like the equipment manager all right and I did all the stuff for the teams in and, and gym class and all that kind of stuff. And I remember one day the gym teacher came to me. and said, look, he says, we're going to have a, a sports awards ceremony coming up, and we're going to give you an award, too, for helping out. I'm like, this is awesome. I'm excited. I'm on a cloud nine. This is going to be great. So we go, and we're sitting there, and my folks are there, and the awards come, and the awards go, and I'm never called up. Now, this is third, fourth, fifth, something like that. And I remember that to this day. That's how it's going to be when you get to heaven and you're not ticker-taped into heaven. There's no fanfare for you. You're going to get in through the back door. No one's going to recognize you. No one's going to applaud you. You're just going to make it in. There is something to be said for wanting the thing God tells us to want. He tells us that we should want the rewards in heaven, that we should want the fanfare we get. He tells us to want that. If we don't want that, we're going to lose out on the blessings of our arrival. Now, Peter continues in verse 12. He says, So I I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them, and are firmly established in the truth you now have. How many have read that verse a bunch of times and just skimmed over it? I read it a bunch of times. What jumped out at me this time is how many times have we heard the same sermon? Same Bible study? I mean, how many times can you hear about Noah or Daniel or Jesus? You've heard these sermons many times. They may be slightly different, but the gist is still the same. How many have told your kids something, and when you tell them, they say back to you, I know dad, you've told me a million times, but what do you do? You keep telling them, right? You keep telling them and telling them over and over again. Peter is going to keep reminding them of something that they already know to make sure it gets ingrained in their brain so they don't forget it. Why does Peter do that? Why why do we do it? Why do we tell people the same thing over and over again? And how can we listen to the same sermon? I've, I've got a tape. I don't have it anymore. I, had, I lost it. But I had a tape. It was by Charles Stanley, Preaching the Preachers. And I must have listened to that tape 20 times. Because it was great. I loved hearing it. Why do you want to hear the same sermon over and over again? Because you want it to be in your mind. You want it to stay there. You want it to be burned in your brain. And verse 13 says, he says, I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body everyone needs reminders we all need to be reminded of things that sometimes we already know I used to do a lot of work on my cars when I was a kid and teenager but it's been a long time since I've done that and every once in a while when I go to work on them I have to remember how I did it and I'll have to pull up a YouTube video to show me how it's done I'm like okay I I remember it now Why? Because if you don't lose it, you don't use it, you're going to lose it. We need to be reminded of things all the time. Memories fade over time. We need to have reminders in our life of something that we already know. Maybe something that we say at a particular point clicks at that moment. I remember when I was in junior high and I was taking algebra and I couldn't, I couldn't get algebra, it save my life. I just didn't understand the lick of it. It was like this hieroglyphics, I had no idea. So, a guy that my dad worked with was a math teacher, and he, I would get onto to his, his work, and this guy would spend a few hours tutoring me on algebra. And I remember it was like a light bulb went off in my head one day, it clicked, and I got it. And it was like totally lighting up the entire thing, because at that particular moment, light went on. Now I get it. And sometimes we may hear the same sermon over and over again, or somebody may tell us the same thing over and over again. But at some point, it's going to click. It's going to, ah, now I get it. Now I understand. And we do it all the time when we read God's Word. You read something that you've read a hundred times, and the one time you read it, it jumps out at you. It clicks. Something that you need at that particular moment. And the second part of that verse is another reason why he's trying to do this. He says he knows his time is limited. Doesn't say how long he has, but he knows it's almost up. Verse 14 says, Because I know that I'll soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Peter wants to be as useful as he can and impart as much wisdom and knowledge that he can in the short amount of time he had left. What good is it if we die without passing on what we know? Our job as mature believers is to make sure the next generation is as mature or better than we are. And don't we as parents want better for our kids, we want them to do better than us. They want, we want them to know more than us, be more successful than us. We want to impart to them as much as we can. I remember when I went down to visit my dad the last time before he died. He, he kept telling me, can we do something with this ring here? I'd walk around his house and he'd tell me, take, take, take this, take that, take this home with you. Take this, I don't want this anymore. He knew his time was short, and he wanted me to take as much of his stuff that I I needed or wanted. And I I didn't need or want anything, but he kept telling me to take it. Why? Because stuff was important to him. And he wanted to make sure that his kids benefited from his stuff. What's important to us? Is our faith important to us? Don't we want our kids and our, and our neighbors and our friends to have it too? What good is it if everything I've ever done or learned goes in the grave with me? It better be passed on. It better be moved on to the next generation. And Peter is trying to tell them, look, I'm not gonna be here long. I'm gonna tell you everything I, you need to know, but you need to take it and run with it. How many times do we wish we could tell people something before or after they die? I wish I could have said this to them before they died. Well, our job is to tell them while we are both still alive. Think about salvation and praying for friends and family. Our prayer is that they remember what we've told them or prayed for them over time. It may even happen after we're gone, but we want to continue to tell them about Christ so that at some point it's going to click. 2 Peter 1.15 says, I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you'll always be able to remember these things. Hopefully, people come to know Christ while we're still alive. And we can enjoy that relationship with him. We can talk about spiritual things together. You know, it's, it's difficult to talk about God things with people who aren't Christians. The Bible says it's foolishness to them. They don't understand. But it's great to have a conversation with someone who is a like-minded believer just to, to engage in relationship with. We want them to know that while we're still alive. But barring that, we still want them to remember after we're gone things we've said to them. You know, the Bible says that God's word doesn't return void, right? The, the verse actually reads this way, Isaiah 55.10. It says, the rain and the snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the seed to grow, or the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It's the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to and will prosper everywhere I send it. The people we talk to about Christ, the people we pray for, that word is still in their spirit. That word's in there somewhere. And it may happen when we're not there, it may happen when we're dead, But God can bring that word back to them. You know, you think about all the the people that have been through missionettes and rangers and youth who now aren't with God. Everything they've learned, it's still there. God can bring it back. God can bring it back to their minds even after we're gone. You know, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit draws people. That's how he draws them. With the word that they've heard somewhere in their life, they've heard this word, God can bring it back. And he continues with what he wants them to know. Now, he's talking about the word and experience. And verse 16 says, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Remember, Peter is one of the three that saw the transfiguration. He saw Jesus glow and, and Moses and Elijah were there. He saw that eyewitness. He was an eyewitness to the majesty of Christ. He personally witnessed miracles. He experienced the resurrection firsthand. It's not a hand-me-down story for him. It's something that he saw, he experienced. 2 Peter 1.17 says, For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And he says in verse 18, we ourselves heard this voice come from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. When you share your testimony with someone, when you share what God has done for you, you are sharing something that you personally have experienced. It's not a story that I've told you or anybody else. It's something that you've experienced for yourself. Think about your testimony. What has God done in your life that's miraculous? Maybe he healed you. Maybe the simple fact that he saved you is miraculous. Maybe he saved you from dying. Did he transform your life from drug addiction and sin? What did God do for you? Did he simply transform you from the inside out? Maybe you weren't a wicked sinner. Maybe you're just a garden variety sinner. And you were a nice person, but you were just a, your everyday sinner. God got in and changed that up. And that in itself is a miracle to change your attitude, your lifestyle, who you are from the inside out. If that's the only thing that God's done for you, that is still a testimony to someone you're talking to. What experience did you have that you are confident that that experience was because of God working in your life? And now Peter's extolling the greatness of his experience, but he wants to temper that with God's word. Verse 19, he says, Because of that, because of the experience I have, we have greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. In other words, I had a great experience, but I have greater confidence in God's word. Experiences are great, but God's word trumps experience. It says, Pay close attention to what they write For the words are like a light shining in a dark place until the day Christ appears and his brilliant light shines in your hearts. What's he saying? God's word is more important than your experience. Experiences are great. You may have them, but God's word is more important than those. Your experience may fade. The thing that you experience may be tremendous for you, but may not be that way for somebody else experiences are subjective God's Word is objective In other words if your experience it's a powerful one if it lines up with God's Word awesome however if your experience denies God's Word or comes against God's Word your experience does not count because God's Word is what counts first I'll give you an example suppose I don't think this ever happened but suppose it did A lady says to her preacher, God told me to divorce my husband to go on the mission field. Hey, mission field, going to be a missionary for God. Sounds like a good idea, right? God would never void his word to do anything, no matter how good and noble it is. There was years ago in the 80s, uh, Satanism was real big back in the 80s, if you all remember that. And there was a guy named Mike Warnke. You ever hear of Mike Warnke? We saw him in, in, in a, I'll don't say concert, but we saw him in a, in a stadium. His testimony was that he was a high priest Satanist at some point, and he was involved in sacrifices and all this other kind of wicked stuff, and God saved him. And this was awesome, powerful testimony. Well, later it comes out that Mike Warnke lied. He wasn't part of that at all. And all of his testimony was a lie. So even though what he was doing was noble, his premise was a lie, it was against God's word and it did more harm to the kingdom of God than had he not done it at all. So your experience and what you do always has to line up with God's word first. He's also saying that we trust God's word up until the day Christ does come back. Now, we don't understand everything fully now, right? There's nothing we, we don't understand. A lot of things totally completely now. And first 1 Corinthians 13:12 says, "Now we see things imperfectly as in a poor mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know, all I know, all that I know is now partially incomplete, but then I will know everything completely." Just as God knows me. There's times when you're not going to understand what God's doing. You're not going to understand what God's word says or commands you to do. It's all limited. There's going to come a time where God reveals it to you, but we have to understand that God's word is true whether or not we understand it. And he doubles down on the power and reliability of God. In verse 20, he says, above all, You must understand that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophets themselves or because they wanted to prophesy. It was the Holy Spirit who moved the prophets to speak from God. The first two words he uses are above all. Those words literally mean knowing this first. Knowing what first? Before we study any further or assume anything or analyze our experience, we need to know that above all, God's word is first. Everything is subservient to God's word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. It's God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing God wants us to do. At first, it wasn't... Wasn't written because someone wanted to write it. Wasn't a whim, wasn't a feeling. It was God moving them to write. And they only wrote down what the Holy Spirit instructed them to write. They didn't write down their feelings. They didn't write down what they think God was doing. The Holy Spirit moved them to write. And since it wasn't their own thoughts or feelings, God's the ultimate author of what he was written. He used the people to write down exactly what he wanted them to say. Now, when we talk about God's word, it's not dictation. I mean, you know what dictation is. You know, God r- talks and they write down. Last week or so, we talked about when you become a Christian, God does not eliminate who you are. You still have your own idiosyncrasies and characteristics, your, your likes, your dislikes, your own personality. God doesn't erase that. God tweaks it. And God uses who you are to do what he wants to do. If we were all the same, we'd all be redundant. God uses each person according to their bent. Now, the phrase, moved the prophets, when he says that, literally means carried along like a ship directed by the wind. A ship will be blown by the wind, but each ship may travel a little different path depending on the sails they have, the rudder, size of the ship, they're all going to move a little bit differently, pushed by the same Holy Spirit, and they're going to eventually get to where that ship's going to be, but they're all a little bit different. When you raise your kids, you, you treat them all the same, you love them all the same, and they all turn out different, right? How does that happen? But that's exactly what God wants. The Bible says, train up a child in the way they should go that means their bents their abilities their desires you you fashion their lives around what they're good at what they're what they're doing all that to say this god uses the prophets their personalities their idiosyncrasies who they are he uses them to get across what he wants to get across think of it this way If I want to express sympathy and love and compassion to someone, I send my wife. Why? Because she has that characteristic, that's who she is, that's what she does. If I want to go in and fire someone, I'm not sending her, I'll send somebody else. The point is, I'm sending the person that I know has the the personality and the style to do what needs to be done at that point. God uses the prophets, their styles, their intellectual, their their capacity, all that they have to get across what he wants to get across. Think about all the the people he used to, to write the Bible. Even in the New Testament, Mark was a relational guy. He was kind of timid, kind of shy, probably an introvert. Paul was just the opposite. He was confrontational, an extrovert. Paul had to be his demeanor in order to start churches and to correct churches. He needed to, need to be a confrontational kind of guy. In fact, when they first started out, Mark was not that way. They didn't get along. And Paul said, I don't want, I don't want Mark anymore. He's not, he's not like me. We're, not, we're different. But he found out later that mark was exactly who mark needed to be and then later in second peter he says bring mark to me or in, in timothy he says bring mark to me he is helpful to me in my ministry why because their personalities weren't the same they were different and they both dovetailed together to, to accomplish what god wanted to do luke was a doctor he was more pragmatic he was logical john was the people person The whole point of Peter's first chapter is this. Wake up. Remember. He writes this a sleeping Christian or a sleeping church is ripe for the enemy to infiltrate. And we talked at the communion about what happens over time when people tend to forget what's going on. And they look at things through the emotional eye that they have, and they they want to do things that emotion tells them to do. But logic tells them can't be done or shouldn't be done. If people become sleepy in the Lord, if churches become sleepy in what God says and we don't remember what God's already done, we will tend to drift that way. That's the natural inclination. That's natural sin. We we want what we want. And until we get to the point where we are solid in God's word, that we're fully alert, that we're growing, can we continue on? Every every mainline denomination started out with the gospel. John Knox, Presbyterian, Charles Wesley, Methodist, all these guys started out solid believers. And what happened? Over time, they lost track of God's word, they became complacent, and then they began to do things that they thought God wanted to do. They were acting on emotion. And what happens is they all... Slide away from the truth. And now what you have is a bunch of churches, not all of them, but a bunch who don't even believe God's Word to be true. That's why Peter is so adamant about continuing to grow. If you don't grow and you don't mature, once those who have are gone, you are going to be the ones who drift to the right or to the left. Matthew 13:24 says, Here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted seed, good seed in his field. But that night as everyone slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's servants came and told him, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Shall we pull out the weeds? They asked. No, he replied. No, you'll hurt the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I'll tell you the harvesters. To, then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds and burn them, and put the wheat in the barn. If we as believers, individual or as a church, as a group, if we're not fully alert, if we're not fully maturing, applying the virtues that Peter had laid out at the beginning of the chapter, if we're not doing that, using God's Word as the ultimate guide to what's happening, we are going to be open to the enemy using us to take us astray. We've seen it in churches. We're seeing it now in our country. Say what you want. This country was basically a biblically founded country. Not everyone was a Christian but they all understood the the sovereignty of God. And they realized, in the way they set up the government, that men are inherently wicked. And the reason they set up the government the way they did was to protect the government from becoming too powerful. The reason we broke away from England was because the government was too powerful. They they were uh, tyrannical, imposing their will on the people. What's happening now is we're seeing a group of people forgetting what that's like and wanting to impose that here. Ask Olga what socialism is like, which ultimately leads to communism. The way the founders set up the country was the way it should be. You know, I'll close with this. People say that the Constitution is a living, breathing document. It's not true. The Constitution is a static, unchangeable doctrine. There's ways to change it, but it's static. It's not open to anyone's interpretation. It's not open to what every person thinks it means. It's static, and it means what it means. That would be the same as saying that God's Word is a living, breathing document. In other words, we can take from it, we can add to it, we can make it say what way we want to say. We can delete the things we don't like. That's what it means. That's like going into a football game saying, halfway through the game, you know what? We're gonna change that rule. It, it applies here, but it doesn't apply there. That's what living, breathing document means. God's Word is a static document. Constitution is a static document. It doesn't change. Regardless of what people think about it, regardless of what we read into it, what we want it to say, it doesn't say what we want it to say. It says what it says. And we either believe it or we don't. Constitution's the same way. It is what it is. And we're celebrating the 4th of July Independence Day. We need to be praying for our country. <laughs> because I'm telling you, Gil and I were talking about this this morning. Judgment is coming. How many watch the Democratic debates? <laughs> I, can't, I can't bring myself to it. But here's the thing. There was, what, 10, 12, people on the platform. Every one of them. Every one of them supported abortion. Every one. And not only supported it, they supported up until the moment the baby's born. How can God not judge that? And if we don't keep praying that God turns this around that's how God's gonna judge it God is going to allow socialism to come into this country and ruin it from the inside out what's a, what's a there's a rule that every country that's been defeated can rise again from without you defeat a country from within it doesn't rise up when a country destroys itself when churches destroy themselves they don't grow where's the church the strongest the church is the strongest in persecuted countries if you're in China and you're a Christian man your life's on the line but you serve God regardless in America where it's easy to be a Christian how many of us are nominal Christians it's good I'll go to church if I want I'll read my Bible if I want it doesn't cost anything. Being a Christian didn't cost anything to become a Christian, but it should cost something as a Christian. Would you stand this morning? I'll put my soapbox away. Would you bow your heads for me in a moment for a moment? Despite all of its flaws we still live in the greatest country in the world and despite all the, the grief that's going on in the world in our country we still serve the greatest God the God above everything the God to whom we owe our very lives and we serve him with gladness it is not a hardship to serve God All that we do is because we want to we want to live our lives to show our appreciation we want to live our lives to show how much we are thankful for the joy and the peace and the blessings that we've experienced that no other nation in the world has ever experienced but maybe you're here this morning and you've You don't quite understand that. You don't really have a relationship with Christ. Yeah, you know about him. You've been in church maybe a few times or a lot of times. And you don't have a relationship. You've never said to to God, Lord, I've sinned. Please forgive me of my sin. I accept Christ as my payment for my sin. Whether you are 10 years old or 100 years old, every person needs to do that. No one gets in. No one has their sins forgiven because of a relative. We have our sins forgiven when we personally acknowledge them and we personally accept Christ as our Savior. If you're here and you've never done that or maybe you did it when you were five and haven't done anything since then and you want that, you want to experience what we're talking about. You want to experience the joy that it seems to come from being a Christian, the the commitment to serving something bigger than ourselves. If you want that, I want you to raise your hand right now. All right, I'm gonna assume that we are all committed followers of Christ. past couple of weeks we've been talking about growing and maturing as Christians when a baby's born they measure his progress by how much he is growing physically and how much he is weighing physically then they measure the baby on what he's able to do mentally speak listen respond If these things aren't happening in a baby at the times that they should be happening, we assume something is wrong and we try to fix it. If we've been a Christian for a long time, and we're no different than we were when we first got saved, that we really aren't growing, we really aren't maturing the way we should, that we're still reading the basics in the Bible and not understanding much, then it's safe to assume that something's wrong. Because the Bible tells us that we are to mature. We are to grow. We are to become wiser in the Lord this year than last year and smarter in five years from now. Paul tells the Corinthians you should be mature, you should be studying deep in God's Word but you're still eating the basics, you're eating baby food. You're not maturing. As Christians, we want to mature. We want to be useful. We want to be able to be used in God's kingdom to do great things. And the Bible says that once we do that and we're able to accomplish those things, there's a great reward for us, a great ticker tape parade. In your honor and not only that the people whose lives you have affected will be there and I believe that will be a greater reward to see people in heaven because of you being faithful father thank you so much that you have called us out of the sinful world thank you Lord that you've given us a roadmap to maturity that as we follow your roadmap, it's easy to follow. It just takes commitment on our part. And I pray that you would fill us with that desire, fill us with the time. I pray that you would adjust our schedules, adjust our lives so that we're able to take the time. It doesn't have to be a lot, but just consistent time to grow in our knowledge of you and then grow in our faith and trust of what you want to do through us. Father, we love you this morning. And we just commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a tremendous week. Have a great Independence Day. And yes, we are having church on Wednesday.